Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Advent is a season of joyous preparation for the Lord's Nativity and a celebration of the coming of God as a saving event. For the early Christians, Advent meant the actual physical coming of Jesus the Christ among men. However, Advent is not only a past historical event, but also a current event in which Jesus comes into our hearts as we welcome and receive him as God's promised Savior. In Luke chapter 8, in Luke chapter chapter 2, 8-11, Luke writes, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The third Sunday in Advent is a Sunday of joy. We light the shepherd's candle, which represents the act of sharing Christ. Jesus Christ is God's gift for all people. The third candle reminds us of the great light which surrounded the shepherds at the announcement of Jesus' birth. And in response to that, let's sing a door. Christmas, what images come to your mind? Christmas tree, manger, twinkly lights, presents, what? Candy canes. Okay, so so we could go on that side of the ledger or we could do the nativity stuff, right? Like maybe some shepherds and some angels. What we probably don't think a whole lot of, though we see it all around us, is the star. You know, this time of year, we see stars everywhere. Shops have them, and and we put them on the top of our Christmas tree. But what's the significance of the star of Bethlehem? How many of you know that the star of Bethlehem was prophesied? Oh, good. Um, How many of you who know that it was prophesied know where it was prophesied? Come on. See, we're all going to learn something this morning. Um, Here's a hint. It's in the oracles of Balaam. Oh, yeah, Keith, the oracles of Balaam, sure. Numbers 23. Okay. So what we want to do this morning is we're going to spend a little bit of time in that clean section of your Bible. Um, And so if you've got 
your Bibles, you can turn to Numbers chapter 23, or in the Pew Bible, it's on page 302, I think, um, or you can just follow along on the screens. Um, and let me say right up front, this is one of those Are You With Me sermons, which means that periodically as we go along, I'm going to ask the question, Are You With Me? To which you will respond, even if you're not, just humor your pastor at Christmas and say, yes, I'm with you. Let me do a quick overview of the oracles of Balaam. When Israel was delivered from from Egypt and they were going into the promised land that God had promised them through the promise that he gave Abraham, they didn't they didn't come into Canaan from the south, which would have been the, the most direct route from Egypt. But God took them on a circuitous journey um, through the Sinai Desert. And we won't go into the details of that journey. But suffice it to say, there were a couple of battles that took place during that time that made the king of Moab, whose name was Balak, made Balak a little bit nervous about these Hebrews. And so, so Balak called for a diviner, a, a guy by the name of Balaam, a mystic from Mesopotamia. And that's very important that you remember that, okay? Remember that. He's from Mesopotamia. Where is he from? Okay. So, so you've got Balak, who is the king of Moab, and you've got Balaam, who is the mystic from Okay, are you with me? Great. Okay, we're moving. Um, So in Numbers 22, they bring Balaam to Balak, and and Balak implores Balaam to curse Israel, but Balaam says, essentially, I can't curse whom God has not cursed. But then Balak offers Balaam a huge sum of money, you know, pro-athlete money, and, and Balaam says, well, for that kind of cash, I'll give it a shot. But what happens is, as he intends to curse Israel, God turns it around and causes him to bless Israel. And so what we see in, in the oracles of, of Balaam are these blessings of God on the nation of Israel. In chapter 23, verse 8, we see the first oracle. And there's five of them. We're not going to look at all five, but there's five of them. In, chapter, in verse 8, it says, How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. See, Balaam sees Israel as unlike any other nation on the planet, that, um, that they are set apart, they're, they're the chosen people of God, they stand unique in history as, as the only nation with a covenant promise from God. And then in verse 10, he observes as fact what was God's covenant with Abraham. He says, who can count the dust of Jacob? Or number the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous and may my end be like theirs. In other words, 
because of their unique relationship with God, rather than curse them, I'd like to be one of them. Well, that was not exactly what Balak was paying good money for. And so he says to Balaam in verse 11, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. Balaam says, Must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So this first oracle is is Balaam talking about Israel's unique position, their, their relationship with God. Balak has an idea because he didn't get a curse out out of Balaam the first time. So he takes Balaam to a a different place, hoping that maybe if he has a different vantage point, he'll see Israel differently and he'll be able to to curse them. Um, Balaam says in verse 21, No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of an ox. There's no sorcery against Jacob, no divination against Israel. In other words, what do you want me to do? I I can't do anything against these people. Um, It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel, see what God has done. Balaam says, God is with them as their king, and thus no one can stand against them. I can't curse them because God is with them, and God will make them victorious. There's nothing I can do about this. See, the first, the first, oracle, <coughs> the first oracle was about Israel's relationship with God. The second, um, their position, the second oracle is about their their possession about the fact that they're going into Canaan and they will be victorious. So the king takes him to a, a third place, hoping that if he can, you know, change Balaam's perspective, then maybe he can he can curse them. But what he gets in chapter twenty four, verses three and following, is yet another blessing, and we won't go into detail. But this one is about how God is going to bless them in the land. You say, well, Keith, I appreciate you giving me the rundown on all these oracles, uh, and as riveting as it is. um, What does this have to do with Christmas? Great question. Thanks for asking. The fourth oracle is about the promised king of Israel. Balaam speaks about the the ultimate and final conquest of of Israel's enemies by a specific ruler. Verse 15 of chapter 24. (coughs) Then he uttered his oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Baor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes are open. Balaam says, look, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm getting this directly from the Lord. And then here's the oracle. 
I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. See, Balaam says, I see a person, but he hasn't come yet. I see him in my vision, but he's not here in history yet. And look who he sees, middle of verse 17. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter. What's a scepter? A king's ruling rod. A scepter will rise out of Israel. In the culture of the day, it was believed that when a prince was born, there would be a, a, uh, a star born in the heavens. That in the heavens, there would be this corresponding point of light to this future king who is born on earth. And we know that that's what Balaam was talking about because of the second phrase of, in verse 17. Where he says, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter, a ruling rod, will rise out of Israel. He's saying that there would be a king who would come forth from the nation of Israel and he would have an accompanying star in the heavens. And what will this king do? It says, he will crush the foreheads of Moab and the skulls of the sons of Sheth. The word Sheth in the Hebrew means rebellion or uprising. What this verse literally means is that this king is going to come and he is going to, um, he's going to defeat those who are rebellious. He's going to defeat those who, up, who, who rise up against his leadership, his authority. His rule. Balaam continues, verse 18. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. Meaning that this great king not only is going to wipe out those who rebel against him, but he's going to take possession of the, of the land. He will inherit the earth. And furthermore, verse 19, a ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. The idea is that the, the wicked are holding up behind the walls of a city. They're, they're not wanting to submit to, to the, uh, the lordship or the, the sovereignty of this king who would be born. Friends, do you see what Balaam prophesied? In the first oracle that Israel has this privileged position in the second that they're about to take possession of the land and the third they're going to be blessed in the land and finally that there is going to come someday a king who will conquer those who oppose him those who who oppose his righteous rule and that king is going to be announced by a star When we read the rest of our Bible, we see what Balaam prophesied is exactly what happens. Jesus Christ, the ruler, the scepter who came out, out of uh, Israel, out of Jacob, out of Judah. He crushed the serpent's head. Genesis 3 said that he would crush the serpent's head. That's what Balaam is talking about. Jesus, 
at the cross crushed the head of his enemy. And someday, as we read on, someday he's going to come and he's going to be victorious over all those who are in rebellion against him. All the sons of Sheth who have holed up and, and not submitted to his lordship. And just as the father of rebellion had his skull crushed at the cross, so the sons of rebellion will find no escape from this mighty king of Israel, and they too will be defeated. Are you with me? So what's the significance of the star of Bethlehem? It is more than a navigational aid for the three wise guys. Um, It is the prophesied star that is accompanying the birth of the king of Israel. Now, I think it's significant that the only place we see the, the star mentioned in the New Testament is in Matthew. Matthew was the gospel written to who? The Jews. To tell them about the king of the Jews. And so... Matthew includes this this piece in Matthew chapter 2 about the star and these three wise men who um, see the star and they're coming from the east because they want to come and worship this new king. Now, the, the ancient Greek historian Herodotus talks about or, or tells us about the Magi and where that, that the Magi were the, the priests of a, um, a cast of Medes. And anybody want to guess where these Medes were active? Mesopotamia. It makes sense that these guys would be doing their research and they would, they would have read the oracles of Balaam and they're, they're discontented with what's going on in the world. If you know, if you know um, world history, you know that in the first century, all they saw was turmoil and evil. That's what was going on. There was nothing good, and, and the, the political systems of the day weren't offering any answers. The philosophies of the day weren't offering any answers. Nothing was getting better. The rulers weren't doing anything about it, and these guys were looking for a ruler who would come and ultimately would, would quash the, the, the rebellion of the world They weren't looking for a a new religion or a new philosophy. They were looking for a deliverer. And so Matthew tells us that they come to, to Herod. And it says, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and have come to worship him. You see, the... They were looking for that star because they were looking for a deliverer. Friends, in the first century BC, Buddhism was an option for them, Zoroastrianism was an option for them, but n- neither of those things was working for them. 
And so I believe by the, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, as they study the oracles of Balaam, they say, this is the guy we need to look for. As the popular Christmas card reads, wise men still seek him. How do we come into relationship with God? By becoming wise. And wisdom is not where you get to the place where you can figure out how to save yourself. Wisdom is when you come to the place where you figure out you can't save yourself and that you need a deliverer. Wisdom is when you look to the one who can ultimately bring the connection with your creator. These guys came and worshiped, and the Bible says they left different than the way they came. Friends, that's true today. When we come to Jesus and recognize him as king, we are changed, and we leave different from how we came. So what's the significance of the star of Bethlehem? Answer, it is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Balaam that the star would come out of Jacob and a king would come from Israel and usher in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Now, if we stopped right there, that'd be pretty good, right? But we're not going to stop right there because I still got some time left. Um, The question is, what's the essence of the star? Because you read Matthew 2, and it seems like the star's moving. It says the, the, the wise men followed the star. And, and, and it says when they got to the place, the star was above where Jesus was. Um, so what was this thing? Was it just some run-of-the-mill astronomical event, or was there something special about it? Well, in the Old Testament, the glory of God resided over the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the tabernacle and later the temple. And twice in the Old Testament, Israel lost the glory of God. The first time they lost it was when they fell into rebellion and God allowed the Philistines to, to defeat them and take, take the ark. And so when they took the ark, the, the glory of God went with the ark. In fact, there was a, a wife of one of the priests who was killed in that battle with the Philistines, had a child and named that child Ichabod, which means the glory is gone. Because the glory of God had left Israel. But then David um, becomes king. And he defeats the Philistines. And he brings the ark back. And reestablishes the glory of God in its rightful place. In the tabernacle. So that was the first time that they lost the glory. The second time was um, millennia later. When Israel fell into such idolatry that God chose to judge them through the Babylonians and to scatter them into exile. And in Ezekiel chapter 10, 
it, it, it talks about this judgment of God. Where he's, he's judging Israel because of their idolatry. And it says in verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. See, God withdrew his glory from the temple. That glory that represented God's presence, represented God's blessing, God's mercy, God now withdraws that glory and that means that his blessing is no longer on the nation. His protection is no longer on the nation and he will give his sheep to the wolves of Babylon. Are you with me? Okay, hang with me on this. If you were to take that idea of the glory of God, the visible splendor of God's presence on earth, and trace it through the Old Testament, Ezekiel 10 is the last place you see it. And you don't see it again until Matthew chapter 2. When this baby is born in Bethlehem. You see, God promised David of Judah, the kingdom will never depart from your descendants. Through Micah, the prophet, he promised that from Bethlehem one shall go forth and have dominion forever and forever. That in Bethlehem, the city of David, from the tribe of Judah, God would send his king. And after Ezekiel 10, you don't see the glory again until Matthew 2, where into Jerusalem come three discontented religious Men from Mesopotamia who are looking for a deliverer. And they say, we saw his star in the east. What was the star? I believe that it was the Shekinah glory of God. That glory which always represented God's presence. Which departed in the book of Ezekiel and reappeared at the birth of the Savior who was called Emmanuel. God with us. You see, God was saying, I'm back. My presence is back. My protection is back. My blessing is back. My mercy is back. Friends, it's important to recognize that the glory of God did not appear over Rome. Because God's kingdom will not be established by military might. It's important to recognize that the glory of God did not appear over Athens because God will not be approached through philosophy. His glory did not appear over India. Because people cannot come to know him through the meditation of Buddhism. His glory did not appear over Iraq because people cannot come to him through the dualism of Zoroastrianism. And friends, it did not even appear over Jerusalem. Because people cannot come to God through the legalism of Judaism. The glory appeared over Bethlehem. Where the deliverer was born. And his name was Jesus. The glory appeared over what the Bible says. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. 
the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What did the Magi see? They saw the reappearance of the presence of God among humanity. The Word became flesh in our Lord Jesus Christ, and the glory of God reappeared at Bethlehem. It's Christmas. And during this season, we see ornamental stars hanging everywhere. But friends, we need to know that the star of Bethlehem is not about glitter. It's about glory. It's about the glory of the king who will rule in righteousness and peace, who will deliver us from the sons of rebellion whom he will crush. It is about the presence of God among us, Emmanuel. The star is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the radiance of his glory, Hebrews says, who stepped out of the throne room of heaven and into the womb of an unmarried Jewish teenager to be born into the the poverty of a stable, who gave up his wealth and privilege as the Son of God to be Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because he loves us. And he did that so that he could crush the head of the enemy and that we might be delivered from the sons of rebellion. As the Apostle John said, to all who receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as Paul said in Romans 8, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Friends, the star of Bethlehem is not about glitter. It's about glory. And my prayer for us this Christmas is that we would be like the wise men. Matthew 2 verse 10 says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child and they bowed down and worshipped him. Becoming a wise man or a wise woman does not mean that you are so brilliant you figure out how to save yourself. It means that you recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has come to conquer evil and deliver you from sin and death. He has come to deliver those who will bow down and worship him. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you will leave different than you came. Are you with me? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Lord, that, that you came in, in such a, an unspectacular way that most of the world did not recognize you. And yet a few did. Lord, I pray that we would be wise this morning and that we would see your star and we would be overjoyed and we would bow down and worship you. 
And thank you, Lord, that, that you didn't stay a babe in a manger, but you grew up and you lived the life that we could not live so that you could die the death that we deserved. And Lord, we celebrate what you did for us on the cross this morning. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.